You ready for the word? We're going to get straight into it. If you're taking notes today, the title of our conversation is, is this, that's not what I asked for. Turn to your neighbor, remind them of a Christmas. Say, that's not what I asked for. Our online family, we love you. I want to encourage you to take notes as well. We're going to read in just a moment uh, out of Acts 3, and then we're going to pray. But I just want to give us some quick context of, of where we're going to jump into in, in, in Acts chapter 3. Just some context, because we're going to be taking a look. We're going to be jumping into the very start of the early church. And up, up until this point, Jesus, if we celebrate Christmas, has, has given up his uh, his throne in heaven and he has taken on the status of humanity fully man fully God and he became uh, on earth like us became flesh like us fully man fully God grew up and lived the perfect life that you and I can never live and Jesus died on the cross and three days later Jesus rose from the dead defeating the devil defeating sin defeating who we used to be is anybody thankful for the gospel the resurrection of Jesus Jesus raises from the dead and he appears back with his disciples and they're excited. They think he's going to stick around, but Jesus ascends to heaven and he tells them, I got to go so that the Holy Spirit can come. And that's what takes place. Pentecost happens. The disciples are praying. They're filled with the the Holy Spirit. And a result of this, thousands of of people are saved. The early church has launched and and the church community has begun. They're they're meeting in the the temple courts. They're meeting in the same temple that we're about to read about in Acts chapter 3, and they're meeting daily. They gather, they teach, they preach, and they're eating together. And and we know that many miracles took place in in this time frame, especially even at the temple of what we're about to to read. But but Scripture tells us of all the miracles that took place in in this time frame, there is only one miracle that that is recorded. That's what we're going to jump into in Acts chapter 3, the crux of the early church, starting after the resurrection of Jesus, that the writer of Acts, Luke, writes and records this one particular miracle which involves the disciples and early church leaders, Peter and John. Acts chapter 3, we're going to read it. I want to encourage you to stay with me. This is the, where we're going to be speaking out of today. We don't need my ideas or opinions. We need the truth of the word of God. Can I get an Amen. Acts chapter 3 says this, now Peter and John, Peter and John, they're disciples, they're friends, but after the resurrection of Jesus, they've actually become even closer of friends. You ever had somebody in your life that like was a friend, but then something significant in your life happens and you become even closer friends? That's kind of the situation here with Peter and John. And so they're, 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 the Bible says they were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, it's about 3 p.m. And a man lame from birth was being carried. This man was crippled since he was born. Whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple. That is called the beautiful gate to ask alms, to ask money of those entering the temple. Verse 3, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple. So this, this crippled man, he sees Peter and John. They're about to go into the temple and he asks them for money. Verse 4, and Peter directed his gaze at him. Y'all still with me? Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. Verse 5, he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. He's filled with hope. Verse 6, but Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. At this point, this crippled man's probably thinking, well, that's not what I asked for. 
Peter says this, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. That's a bold prayer. Verse 7, and he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them. By the way, as you would, you've been crippled your whole life and you were, you were healed, you'd be jumping and praising God. Walking and leaping and praising, and all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who had sat at the beautiful gate of the temple every day asking for money. And they, the people that recognized this man, they knew who this man was, they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. And then verse 11, this is important for us to notice today. The Bible says, while he clung to Peter and John. Who's he? It's this crippled man who's been healed. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico. It's not the port of John, portico called Solomon's. It's an area of the temple. Why don't we pray? Jesus, we thank you for who you are, Holy Spirit of God. We thank you for your presence. This Christmas season, we are simply reminded of how good you are, of how good your grace is. That as we gather as your church family today, that your presence is here. Wow! That you want to speak to every person in this room. God, we thank you for your church. We thank you for Wave Church that we get to call our home. God, I thank you there's people in this room that maybe don't believe in you yet. I thank you at the end of this service, they're going to have the opportunity to encounter your presence. I thank you there's people in this room, they know about you, God, but they don't know you personally yet. And at the end of this service, they're going to have the opportunity to surrender their lives to you. God, we thank you for your word. God, personally, I pray for your power, your anointing, your authority. God, I am very aware without you, I am nothing. And God, I just thank you that Aaron Rodgers is going to come and play for the New York Jets next season. Everybody said, amen. amen. I know God doesn't care, but I do. Church, I, I love Christmas. Anybody else love Christmas? I love everything about Christmas, um, but I also love presents. Like, I love them too much. And it's a problem in my life, and I need you to, to pray for me. I, I love everything about Christmas. Growing up, the, the, the tradition of the Kelly home is, is we would make our wish list. And I was the type of kid uh, where I love surprises so much that even if my parents told me where the presents were, I wouldn't go because I so want to experience being surprised on Christmas morning. That is how much I love being surprised. My, my Christmas list, I would make three or four times longer than it needed to be just so that I didn't know exactly what I was gonna get. Like there's two or three things that maybe I really wanted, but I would make the list longer so that on Christmas morning, I'd have that feeling of like, well, let's see. That's how much I love surprises. I remember one year, one Christmas, I will never forget. We had our, our Christmas list, and there was one thing that Sam and I, my brother Sam, we always dreamed of having in our, our backyard. It was a, a, a full-size real soccer goal, like a real one. And soccer growing up for me 
was my life. It was my, my passion. It was, it was everything. I still love soccer. I'm still passionate about it. But it was at this stage of my life, it was everything. And it was always a dream to have a, a, a real full-size real soccer goal in the backyard. But we never really put it on our Christmas list because we knew it was, it was unrealistic. We may as well ask for a spaceship from SpaceX. I'll never forget one Christmas. I was in middle school and we did the Christmas morning and opened the presents and I'll never forget my, my mom and dad, they said, hey, Sam, Josh, we've got one more thing. Just We want you to look outside. I'll never forget it. We walked out into the back porch, into the backyard, and there was this full-size soccer goal. It may as well have been a magical unicorn. <laughs> we were filled with so much emotion and excitement. Our reaction, this is, this is true, we sprinted into the backyard, and we just started screaming and, and yelling and overwhelmed with emotion. I don't know if you've ever cried and ran at the same time, but it's a rush. <laughs> Just in disbelief. Like, this isn't even what we asked for, but thank you. You know, as followers of Jesus, we, we, we pray, and we ask God for things, as we should. But if we're not careful as followers of Jesus, we can also start to treat God like Santa. And we have our wish list. And the problem with this is, is we know is that God doesn't always give us what we ask for. Maybe we asked for an answer and instead we got silence. Maybe we asked for healing, but the healing didn't happen. Maybe we asked for a promotion, but somebody else got the promotion. Maybe we asked for God to open a door, but it seemed like God closed that door. And if we, we, we read God's word, we discover that we are not the only ones that have this ex experience. And, and if we read God's word, we also discover and, and, and learn that whether I like God's response or not, that God always knows best. I've also learned to look back in life and reflect. And I see and I notice there are times I'm really thankful God didn't answer that prayer in the way that I asked. I look back and I see that there's some doors I'm really glad that God didn't open and that he closed. Have you ever been there? God, that's not what I asked for. Sometimes it's God, sometimes it's life, sometimes it's opposition. Regardless, we know this as a church family that God works good in all things. And if you have walked through a valley deep and dark enough, you will discover and find that all that really matters is that, God, you are still with me. Can I get an amen? But in this instance with Peter and John, we have a man who has been asking for help, for provision, for money. He's been begging his entire life, not because he's lazy or because he can't keep a job, but because he has been crippled since birth. And at, at this time in history, culturally, this is one of the worst situations that you could be in. This man can't go into the temple courts. He can't work. He's considered an outcast. He has nothing. What we, what we do know that he has is friends or, or people that are willing to, to bring him to the temple gate every day so that he can beg for money and have enough money to eat and survive. And he's been doing this his, his entire life and he's learned to beg at the temple gate because he's learned the most generous people are church people. His best bet is at the temple gate. I mean, think about it. When your life depends 
on asking people for money. You are going to go where the best return is. And this crippled man has learned to, and he knows, to post up at the temple gates because that's where the church people are. Side note, that's what I love about the church. As Jesus followers, the body of Christ is the most generous entity on the planet and has been since the beginning of time. Christians are called to be generous with every area of our lives, but also with the one area that is more important to humanity and world and culture than and anything else, and it's our money. And you look through history, and the most generous organization by far is the church. It's not even close. That's why I love our church, because we're generous. Why are we generous? Because it is one of the great consequences of the gospel. It's generosity. We serve a generous God, a generous Savior. And the Holy Spirit begins to open up my closed hands and live with open hands. That's what the Bible teaches. And as a church, when you are around generous people, I don't know if you've discovered this yet, when you are around generous people, you will be stirred and you will be challenged to be more generous. One of my favorite stories about generosity and somebody being challenged by just being around church people, it was a couple of years ago, a businessman that was new to our church and new to faith, and he told me this after one of our motorcycle trips. He said, Josh, I, I thought I was generous. He said, I wanted this motorcycle trip. This is what he told me. He said, Josh, I went on this motorcycle trip, and I knew, and I know that I make money than almost every guy on this trip, and I thought I was generous. But these guys, this is his perspective, but these guys who I know make less money than me, Josh, they have something I don't have, a generous spirit. He said, I watched how they interacted with each other and everybody made sure everybody was good and okay and if somebody needed to cover somebody's lunch or fix somebody's motorcycle, that they had this, Josh, there was this generous spirit and I realized I'm just giving out of my wealth. I'm not really generous. And he was stirred and challenged after being around church people, Jesus followers of this generous Spirit. I love the church. That's why I love a growing church. Because it means we are doing our job. And we work hard. And Wave Church, you know this. As we get bigger, we work hard to remain small, a church family. But if our mission is to see our city saved, we will get bigger. And of course, there are challenges with big church. Because there's more people. And people are crazy. And of course, you will be offended in God's house as we get bigger. Why? Because people. And church, of course, there may be somebody sitting next to you who you don't know, who may be so obviously struggling in their life. There may be somebody next to you who reeks of alcohol and drugs. Don't scoot away. Scoot closer and give them a hug. Can I get an amen? This is the church. Don't forget how lost and broken we were before Jesus saved us. How quickly we forget how bad we are and how good he is. Can I get an amen? My point, my point is we can read a story like this in Acts chapter three and fail to realize that I am the crippled man. I may not be physically sick, 
but spiritually I was dead. And I was desperately begging and searching and looking for healing and wholeness and help and hope. This morning, I want to take a look at a couple things from this scripture that I believe the Holy Spirit wants to encourage us today. Verse 3. Seeing Peter and John, the crippled man, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive money. And Peter, I love this, Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and, and said, look at us. Church, Peter and John were on the way to church. Like they had somewhere to be, somewhere important to be, yet they weren't rushed and they stopped. And they don't just stop, but they do something powerful. They look at this man. How often when it comes to unwanted interruptions that we're too busy, too rushed to notice, Friends, one thing you will notice about the life and ministry of Jesus is he was never in a rush. And I've noticed in my life in today's culture how we are always in a rush. And we have time for things that don't eternally matter, and yet we don't make time for things that really matter. And I believe as I was preparing this message for us as a Wave Church family, I believe the Holy Spirit stopped me as I was writing and preparing this message and he asked me, he said, Josh, this is what I believe the Holy Spirit told me. He said, Josh, I want you to, to tell Wave Church, slow down. Church, slow down down this Christmas season slow down slow down enough to notice your son or your daughter that needs not just encouragement but specific encouragement slow down enough to notice that friend in your life that on the outside looks like they have it all together, but on the inside, they are at their breaking point. Church, this Christmas season, slow down enough to notice and to hear the whisper of heaven. Even further, if you're like me, even when I do slow down and maybe I notice somebody like we see in Acts chapter 3, I avoid eye contact, like the homeless man at the intersection. I'm going to lock the doors and just don't look. Oh, it's just me. Okay. <laughs> and we know this man was not looking at Peter and John. Because the Bible says Peter has to say to this man, hey, look at us. There may have been a feeling of less than, of embarrassment, ashamed, unworthy. And yet the Bible says Peter, full of the Holy Spirit, he directed his gaze at this man and he says, look at us. Friend, maybe you are here today and you feel unworthy, ashamed, embarrassed. If people knew, if God only knew, and you're unwilling, you're unsure to lift your eyes to heaven, Jesus is here and he has directed his gaze at you. And he says, friend, look at me. 
Jesus sees you today and he says, look at me. You can lift your eyes towards me. I went to the cross for you and I raised from the dead. I've got grace for you. I've got hope for you. Can I get an amen? Verse 5. He fixed his attention on them. This crippled man, he was not looking. And now he fixes his attention on them, expecting, he's got some hope, expecting to receive money from them. Friend, if your eyes are elsewhere today, can I encourage you, fix your attention on Jesus. And you can expect something from him. Write this down if you're taking notes. Jesus is looking at me. And he invites you to look at him. Jesus sees you, he knows, he understands, and he wants you to see him. Not just see a church service, not just see a pastor, not just have a a feeling, but when, when you really see Jesus, when you really see him and his splendor and his love and his grace and his mercy and his truth and his holiness, his peace, a perfect savior, who has paid the ultimate sacrifice for you and and for me that I can look at him and I can see him with no condemnation and no shame and I can be made whole and I can expect and you can expect today to receive grace and mercy. Verse six, but Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. Now, you can imagine in the transaction of this conversation, the immediate disappointment of this crippled man. Like, y'all looked at me. You told me to look at you, and you got my hopes up. Like, I thought I was going to get a $100 bill. I was going to go down and get me some manna from Whole Foods. Like, I was excited Silver and gold you don't have, then why did you stop? What else do you possibly think that I could want? Whatever it is you do have, it's not what I asked for, and it's not what I need. And then Peter says this, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. Peter and John give this man the greatest gift that he could ever receive, Jesus. And if you are here today, and spiritually you are empty, spiritually you are dead, maybe you're here today and you are weary, Jesus calls to your soul and says, rise up and walk again. And catch this, he doesn't command you to do so on your own strength, but Jesus will reach down in his grace and lift you up. And it is in our weakness that he is is made strong. Verse 8. Y'all still with me? Verse 8. The Bible says this, and leaping up. This man's never left a day in his life. Leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. 
And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for money. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what God, at what had happened to him. I mean, church, think about how amazing this miracle is. A man that has been crippled since birth, his legs and ankles do not work. The, the muscles in his legs would be almost non-existent. The tendons, the ligaments have, have never been utilized. And the Bible says that he didn't slowly get up and awkwardly regain his strength and learn how to walk again. The Bible says that immediately he was made strong and begins to walk and jump and run as if he was never crippled. And keep in mind, everyone around, everybody around knows this man. They've seen him every day at the same gate asking for money. So they know this isn't a publicity stunt. They know that this could not be more real. I also want to know, if I'm Peter and John, I'm feeling pretty good about myself. Like, that's a crazy prayer. Like, yo, Pete, sick prayer, nuts. Like, did you get that on video? Did you have your phone out? This is good content. You post this, we could go viral. I mean, church, think about this. If you prayed for a man who was crippled and Jesus healed him, think about this. In front of a bunch of people. And then verse 11, while he clung, while he clung to Peter and John, all the people utterly astounded ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's this man whose life has just been turned upside down he can now work and earn money he doesn't have to beg for it he can now re-enter into society he can now go into the temple courts he can now walk and run and so understandably we see the we see the writer of of Acts Luke point out that he didn't just follow Peter and John but he clung to them and yet I love what Peter and John do because they see that this man is more focused on them than Jesus and they see that this crowd is amazed by an obvious, astounding miracle, yet they are amazed with Peter and John and, and not Jesus. And so Peter, noticing this with a crowd of people, he immediately begins to preach the gospel and turn the attention and glory away from himself and away from John and reveal that he is simply an instrument for the miracle worker, Jesus. And it begins to show this crippled man he begins to show this crippled man, friend, it is not me that you need. I will disappoint you, and it is not me that you should cling to, but you need to cling to Jesus. How often, as followers of Jesus, we find ourselves clinging to things other than the cross. Some things, even seemingly good things, or trying to cling to the cross, yet still cling to the ways of the world. But friends, if we are not first clinging to the cross, then we have missed it. And so I ask today, church, what are you clinging to? I mean, think about that. Like, what is your life really clinging to? Think about that. I would suggest in today's culture, it's never been easier to claim Christianity and yet keep Jesus at a distance. And I'll go to church on Sunday and I will cling 
to the cross and Jesus on Sunday, but when I go to work on Monday, Jesus, you, you just stay at a safe distance. And Jesus, I'll, I'll cling to you, I'll, I'll cling to the cross at this area in my life, but this other area in my life, Jesus, you, you just remain at a safe distance. And I've come to remind us this morning, church, that this Christian life is a life where we never leave the foot of the cross. And so wherever I go, I take this with me. If you would like a picture of what Christianity looks like, the Bible says, pick up your cross and follow me. Amen. So wherever I go, I bring this with me. The Holy Spirit comes with me. And if there is anything in my life that is loosening my grip on the cross or loosening my grip on clinging on to Jesus, no matter how good it looks, no matter how enticing it may seem, it isn't worth it. Can I get an amen? You see, the thing about clinging to the cross, about clinging to Jesus is there are now things that I don't do. And there are now places I don't go. And there are also now doors that I used to go in, but this doesn't fit through that door anymore. I wonder, church, what door maybe we've been tempted to enter or maybe we've been going through this door that when we get to that door, we say, Jesus, I'll be right back. What door have we been tempted to leave Jesus at the entrance? Church, have we left the foot of the cross? Because if you're like me and you leave this Christian life, live this Christian life long enough, how many times that I look up and I have walked away from the foot of the cross? Some indicators really quickly as we close, the bank can come on up. How do we know that we've stopped clinging to Jesus? Some indicators, I think, first one is we've stopped praying. How do I know that I have stopped clinging to Jesus? I've stopped praying. And when I stop praying, typically what happens next is, is I stop repenting. Church, think about this, and this is a good question. When was the last time that you repented? I love that repentance is a good thing. The Bible talks about having a zeal for repentance. When was the last time that the Holy Spirit stopped you and convicted you? And I fell back to the foot of the cross and I repented. I said, Jesus, forgive me. And I thank you for your grace that forgives me every time, that has grace for me. And I turn back to you. Another indicator that maybe we've stopped clinging to Jesus is we've lost the wonder and awe of the cross. We just lost, lost our awe. 
and wonder for this gospel. And typically what follows when we lose our awe and wonder of the cross is we lose our awe and wonder in worship. An indicator for me when I have stopped clinging to Jesus is worship is just songs. And it is no longer a moment that I get to worship my Savior in awe and wonder of who he is. Another indicator I've stopped clinging to Jesus is church has become an option. Because you see, when I remain at the foot of the cross, I remain in the humble reality and understanding that I need his grace every day. And I understand that his church is his priority. And so I don't fit church into my life. Which has become a cultural norm in the Western church. I'm a fit church into my life. But if I'm really seeking first the kingdom of God, then my life fits in to me and my family being planted in the house of the Lord. Can I get an amen? Last indicator is this, as we close for the second time. I've stopped giving. I know that I've stopped clinging to Jesus when I stopped giving. I'm not just talking about practical giving. I'm talking about I've stopped giving Jesus. Church, please get this as we cling to the cross. We are reminded every day that the greatest gift we contain, that we can give humanity, it is Jesus, the greatest gift that we give during Christmas and every day outside of Christmas, it is Jesus. And while the world is looking for silver and gold and satisfaction and happiness and searching for meaning, may we show them, may we give them Jesus. And if there is one point, if there is one point to this message and any message I ever preach, it is Jesus. It is all about Jesus. Peter and John, they waste no time in this miracle pointing people back to Jesus. We are mere instruments to point people to Jesus. It's only Jesus. Our lives, church, are all about Jesus, the name that is above every other name, and every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. The name of Jesus that puts shivers in the devil's spine. The name of Jesus that causes demons to run in fear. It is Jesus. And in this Christmas season, church, may we fix our eyes again. May we direct our gaze upon Jesus. May we humble ourselves again at the foot of the cross. May we leave church today clinging to Jesus. You know what happens in this story is Peter and John, they're arrested. Peter starts to preach and they're arrested. The religious leaders, they don't like that they're preaching a resurrected Jesus, but they can't argue with the fact that this man has been healed. They knew this man. So they're not really sure what to do with Peter and John, so they put them in jail overnight, and the next day they, they let them go. But they warn them. They say, Peter and John, we're going to let you go, but you are not allowed to preach Jesus anymore. 
You can't do it. And I love what Peter and John do. You know what they do, church? They go back to their church family and they pray for more boldness. They pray for more boldness. Church, how bold are we? How bold are we? We're sharing the gospel. I'm not talking about being mean and arrogant and arguing on Facebook. The Bible says it's kindness that leads people to repentance. What I'm asking is how bold are we with the greatest gift that every human heart is desperately searching for? How bold are we? Because the devil is bold and the world is bold and culture is bold with all of its darkness that leads to death. And yet we contain the gift that leads to life. How bold are we? I wonder when it costs us, will we be bold? And in case you're unaware, church, what, what does it cost you to pick up your cross and follow Jesus? Everything. Everything. And when it costs you everything, will we pray for more boldness? I pray we are that church. That when it costs us, we pray for more boldness. God, that you would give me more boldness. No matter what it costs me, I will share and I will give Jesus. This Christmas season, church, may we be bold. This next Sunday is our Christmas Eve service. As we invite our friends and family, it's not just a happy, nice, friend, you need to come to church with me and hear about the name of Jesus. I have got family and friends in my life that I'm inviting and bringing so they can encounter the name of Jesus. May we have moments this week, even with strangers, the Holy Spirit speaks to you. Don't just invite them. Tell them, hey, Jesus loves you. Amen.